going can you believe it it is friday december 22nd we are underway this hour on flames talk with wes gilbertson of post media my name is pat steinberg welcome to the sports drive brought to you by calgary lock and safe this christmas give the gift of security with smart locks and safes visit calgarylockandsafe.com it is our uh, final regular two hour two podcast day prior to christmas which is why i said can you believe it uh, we got a game Saturday night and the Flames Talk post-game show on Saturday night. And then we'll be back for you on Wednesday when the Flames return home to take on the Seattle Kraken. So, Wes, Merry Christmas. Happy Holidays. It's good to see you. Merry Christmas to you, buddy, and happy holidays. And, and same to all our listeners out there. We always appreciate them t- tuning in. And uh, please uh, make sure you're back with us on the 27th. Everybody, it's feeling very Christmassy and uh, holiday cheerish here I, uh, downtown. I just saw this guy walking. He must have great coworkers. He didn't have a bag, but he was trying to manhandle <laughs> six <laughs> separate bottles of wine. And uh, as he navigated the plus 15 system, all with, you know, little gift cards attached. So he did well today. Now, I don't think all six make it home based on... How things seem well. His balance was fine, but uh, that's a lot of it's a lot of wine bottles to be trying to uh, you know avoid a fumble. That's a good point. Uh, Cam has uh, purchased pizza for us on this Friday, so everything is looking up. Uh, Let's go inside hockey to kick off this hour. Inside hockey for Calgary Co-op this hockey season. Support local. Find your all-time classics and locally brewed beers. Visit your local Calgary Co-op Wine Spirits beer today. That was a big night Thursday for Elias Lindholm as the Flames made it three straight wins and a 3-0 win over the Anaheim Ducks. How about seven straight wins at the Honda Center in Anaheim as well? And that was one of Lindholm's better nights of late, no doubt about it. Uh, I I loved the finish on the 2-0 goal. Uh, that That's vintage Lindholm. Didn't think, just ripped it. And, you know, if maybe the uh, first goal, the Nick D. Simone goal, might have fooled uh, Dostal in net. I, I, like, nobody was stopping Lindholm's goal. Inside the post, and he absolutely wired it on that three-way passing play. So he finishes with a goal and three points, only the 23 minutes and 10 seconds. Just the 23-10 of ice time. Uh, which isn't even the highest of the season. He played 24-56 earlier this month on the road in Minnesota. And that the the ice time thing, so he played 23-plus on Thursday. He's been over 23 a few times this year. He's been over 24 once this year. But the ice time on Lindholm is something you've been keeping an eye on and something something that you've been tracking here of late, isn't it? Yeah, and just the one thing I want to point out, because you're right, he played almost 25 minutes last week in Minnesota, but that was a game that he played three minutes in overtime. So his 23-10 last night was the highest total by any Flames forward in a 60-minute game so far this season. Like, they rode him like a horse last night, and he was up to the task. Yep. In fact, I, I've noticed Elias Lindholm's game sort of round into form over the past month or so, and to be quite honest, in the past couple of weeks, I think he's been really strong for this team. You know, we, we talked yesterday on Flames Talk about, well, why is it always Elias Lindholm's line that's called the first line for the Calgary Flames? It's because this is the guy who is repeatedly getting tapped for the most shifts on the team. And, and his ice time, he, he played just a shade over 20 minutes a night in what was his busiest year to date, or his busiest season. That was 2018 That was his 19, first year in Calgary. First season yep. in Calgary. Well, he's averaging 21 minutes a night this season. Almost a full minute higher. Those, those are defenseman numbers. Yeah. Like, forwards don't, and there are some, but forwards don't play... 21 minutes a night very often and especially at positions that their teams believe are a strength you know it it speaks to 
what Ryan Huska thinks of Elias Lindholm. It speaks to the fact that Elias Lindholm's performance, I think, even across the season has been stronger than he maybe gets credit for. And it speaks, and I'm sure we'll get into this part soon, it speaks to how massive of a hole you're looking to open up if you do trade him. So, by the way, Lindholm 13th among forwards in the NHL in terms of average time on ice. The forwards in front of him uh, from 1 to 12. Um, just some names you may recognize. Miko Rantanen's number one. He and Nathan McKinnon average an identical 22-38 per game right now. Uh, Tim Stutzla, Connor McDavid, Nikita Kucherov, Valerie Nachushkin makes up the third part of that Colorado top line. Remember when Nachushkin couldn't even play in the NHL and now he's one of the best players on the planet? Uh, anyway, Austin Matthews, Kirill Kaprizov, Leon Dreisaitl, Mitch Marner, Nick Suzuki, and Tomas Hurdle are the only players ahead of Elias Lindholm in terms of average time on ice for forwards. Yeah, and if you actually sort those stats by December, he's in a similar spot. I think there's 13 guys above him, but the names are like, it is the all-star skills competition. Yeah. Austin Matthews, Connor McDavid, um, Nate McKinnon, Nikita Kucherov, Sidney Cry. Like you read it and it's just like, holy. And as we always hear with Elias Lindholm, and I'm certainly not suggesting it's easy minutes for any of those other guys, but Elias Lindholm eats the most difficult matchups for this Flames team. Always, always. Michael Backlund's line certainly does its share of defensive heavy lifting, but Elias Lindholm just takes the toughest matchups night in and night out and logs just such important minutes for this group. Well, what I, I want to play this first, then we can get into usage in a second. I think the usage is fascinating. This was uh, this was Wednesday, so this was prior to the Flames heading out to California. Wednesday after their last practice here in Calgary, then they uh, hopped on a flight to SoCal. And uh, you may recognize the voice asking this question, uh, but uh, Ryan Huska got into it a little bit on Elias Lindholm's usage, um, and a very inquisitive, bright reporter uh, was doing the quizzing. How have we seen Elias Lindholm handle, like you're playing him a minute more than he's ever played in his career on average. How have you seen him handle that workload? I think he's done a, a good job with it. There's there's certain days where we would have probably liked to have offered him a maintenance day, if you want to call it that. Um, but there's also been times when we've thought about it where he says, no, I want to skate. Because sometimes when you're, you're playing more, even just getting on the ice for a little bit of a, a lighter skate at times, it makes the body feel pretty good. So... Um, it's a, it's a lot of minutes, and the, the challenge that we have with him is those minutes are heavy. Against top lines, there's penalty kill, there's power play. He kind of does everything for us, so we as coaches do have to do a, a job of managing his, his time off the ice as well. It's easy for everyone to look at the dip in offensive yeah. numbers with him, but do, do the minutes speak to what he's giving your group? He's, he's funny. Well, not funny, but you know we expect him to generate offense for us, um, but he's also a guy that we expect to play against top lines. So his 200-foot game is... is is right up there in the league, in our opinion, the way he plays the game. Um, when you're a, a pure offensive guy, a lot of times coaches will start you in the offensive zone on face-offs, but in Lindy's situation, like you can use an example like the New Jersey game. Every face-off in the defensive zone that Hughes was on the ice, so was Lindy. So that takes away a little bit of his offensive ability because he's not in those situations. We have to trust him in other areas as well. So that's Ryan Huska talking about the impact Elias Lindholm has made. And it's, it's funny. So even you go take a look at the last two home games when Ryan Huska has control of the matchups, uh, the Lindholm line, and specifically Lindholm, uh, saw 11 minutes and 46 seconds of head-to-head -head time against Nikita Kucherov on Saturday. 10.52 head-to-head against Braden Point. So that was almost a Ryan Huska hard match against the top line of the Tampa Bay Lightning. Uh, and then you had the Florida game where it was a little bit more distributed, um, but there was uh, time, against, uh, time against Reinhardt, Barkov, Rodriguez, Bennett. So kind of hit a couple of different lines and that, that is a really important thing that he talks about right there is you've got the way that Ryan Huska is using his lines right now, you've got two heavy lifting lines and you've got two lines that are the benefactors of the heavy lifting. So right now, Michael Backlund has the 
uh, lowest offensive zone start on the team, as per usual. He uh, is starting 42.6% of his faceoffs in the offensive zone compared to the defensive zone. And then the next center is Lindholm at 47.7%. So both Lindholm and Backlund are starting more times in their own zone than they are in the offensive zone. Compare that to Kadri, who's at 65%. That's not a criticism of Nazem at all. It's a big part of why that line's been so good because they've had the ability to let the Kadri line with Zary and Pospisil go out, get offensive starts, and go to work and use their skill and dynamic nature against other teams. But that tells you that not only is Lindholm going head-to-head against good lines, but what he was talking about there in the New Jersey game, for instance, going up against top lines and starting a lot of time in the defensive zone, it, it is a big part of what Lindholm has always done. And that's why I've never, I've never felt at this point this year, even at times when we've been critical of Elias's offense, and I don't think there has been a time since he put on a Flames jersey where I've ever said to myself, geez, Lindholm is having a bad stretch or Lindholm had a bad night. I mean, you're going to have off nights, but Lindholm never is bad. Just sometimes the offense is a little bit more over here sure. than it is on the other side. And, and the offense has taken a hit this year. He's only on pace for 19, 20 goals around 57 points, which are low compared to what we're used to. And, and yet, after popping for three points last night, he's one point off the yep. team scoring lead. Yep. And I realize we're not talking uh, about the, you know, latest edition of the Russian Red Army here. I know these guys aren't playing tic-tac-toe and constantly putting it in the back of the net, but like I think Elias Lindholm must hear some of the offensive criticism sometimes and think to himself, do you guys realize what I'm being asked to do? Do you guys realize... We heard Ryan Huska use the example. The New Jersey Devils come into the Saddle Dome every time Jack Hughes is on the ice. Hey, hey, Elias, get out there. He's not out there to score in that scenario. And what makes Elias Lindholm such a special two-way player is that he can, but I think we probably haven't given him enough credit for the job he's done in, you know, what is a, a first I guess first-line minutes without first-line wingers, would that be a fair way to put it? Well, that's the other thing. In the last two summers, Johnny Gaudreau, Matthew Kachuk, and Tyler Toffoli have all been taken away from his wing, three wingers that he had a lot of chemistry with, which is also going to hurt the offense. Uh, By the way, I just went and pulled up the Devils game. 11 minutes and 16 seconds of five-on-five head-to-head time with Jack Hughes and and Jack Hughes' line. And so you... You've got a guy that Ryan Huska is using as a head-to-head first line. Not all that dissimilar to what we saw the Lindholm line with Gaudreau and Kachuk use. They were used against top lines on the other side quite uh, routinely in 21-22. The difference is that line just found something that no other line in decades is going to find, I think, as a member, as, as, as parts of the Calgary Flames. That was a once-in-a-lifetime line right. or, or once-in-a-generation line for this team. It was ridiculous. But it doesn't take away, to your point, all the things that Lindholm does. And again, I go back to it. Like, the amount of times I've heard Ryan Huska or, you know, d- listening to coaches, show with, with, coaches shows with, with Lou and, and Ryan Huska or Lou and Daryl Sutter. The amount of times Daryl Sutter told Peter Labardius at times last year, Lindy never hurts us, and he's never bad. I think we're seeing that, and and the defensive side of his game is, and and the two way part of his game remains a, a really important part of what he brings to a team. Which is why I've never felt like the drop in offensive numbers was going to hurt his trade value. I, I feel the same way about Elias Lindholm's trade value if the Flames decide to move him on December 22nd as I did on September 22nd. Maybe I feel a little bit different as to what that contract might look like wherever he ends up signing. Right. But the actual value that the Flames are going to get for him if they do end up trading him, I don't think that has changed from the beginning of the year to where we are right now. No, I, I don't either. And I think part of that is the more... The more you think about it, it's apparent to me anyways that the contending team who is ultimately going to acquire Elias Lindholm, and that's, again, barring an extension with the Flames, and we don't think there's very much going on there. So 
having this conversation under the assumption that if Elias Lindholm remains unsigned, he will be traded prior to the deadline. The team that acquires Elias Lindholm is going to be a contender that plans to use him as their second line center. And that's why the offense is going to be just a bonus to them too, right? Let's use Colorado as an example, because Elliot Friedman has mentioned the Colorado avalanche as he thinks maybe a close to ideal fit. And I don't want to put words in his mouth. I don't know exactly how he phrased it, but he likes the fit for Elias Lindholm in Colorado. Pierre Lebrun has, has said the same thing. Yeah. Pierre Lebrun has mentioned the the same possibility. And you look at it and go, you know, if you're, if you're Jared Bednar and, and Chris McFarlane and, and the rest of the avalanche, you're thinking, yeah, if we, you know, if Elias Lindholm can eat those matchups for us and we can just let the McKinnon line run loose, we're not going to lose very many games. Well, is it, is it all that different than the role Nazem Kadri played when he was in Colorado and, it, and had the most success of his career? And it's exactly the role that Colorado has been unable to fill since Nazem Kadri left. Yep. And so with Elias Lindholm, I think if you're a team that's sizing him up as an addition on deadline day, You'd love some offense in there too, but but you're almost acquiring him more for the the two way game. Yep. Right. You're acquiring a guy. I was looking today. He's got six penalty minutes. You don't play shut down minutes like that and wind up with six penalty minutes. Yep. Like this guy is just so sneaky, consistent in the fact that you know where his floor is. Does his ceiling fluctuate a little bit from game to game based on what he's bringing offensively? Absolutely. But he has such a high floor, if that makes sense, mm-hmm. that he's just so reliable. And and I really, you know, I'm almost kicking myself as we sit here. We, we haven't talked about him enough. And there's been so many other good stories. But Elias Lindholm is a huge reason that this team feels like it's playing much better hockey. And, and I mean, I, I think part of the reason why maybe we're not talking about it is because it's very, it's, we've just kind of come to expect that from Elias. Right. And, and which is why I think sometimes it does fly under the radar. It's a good that, way to put that it. That he, you, you always expect him to be, it's, Michael Backlund in a lot of ways is Elias Lindholm light. They're, they're very similar in that, you always know Michael Backlund is going to give you great defensive minutes. He's going to more often than not win his matchup line to line and the offense. And then if you can get some offense, you're like, yes, awesome. And so when Michael Backlund has 45, 50 points, you're like, this is a damn good season. No. And so when Elias Lindholm is 65, 70 points, you're like, okay, this is a really good season because of all the other things. And, you know, everybody always uses the term or, or, or everybody always likes to compare Elias's game to Patrice Bergeron's game. And I'm not saying that's a poor comparison. Uh, there's been enough people smarter than me who coach NHL teams who have used that comparison and Bergeron's numbers, Bergeron's numbers only went through the roof in the latter part of his career when he kind of transitioned from being the shutdown center who did all that stuff to now centering the number one line. And Bergeron, you go take a look at Bergeron's numbers when he was putting up 65 points a year. He was one of the best centers on the planet Earth. But because everything he did and all the heavy lifting he did away from the offensive end, it was tough for anybody to put up points at a, at a high, high level. Then you put him with Pasternak and Marchand and you put the perfection line together and you have them together for five years and you feed them more offensive starts. Then we started to see, oh, where are these, where are these 80 point seasons coming from, from Patrice Bergeron? It's, it's a similar conversation as to what we're talking about with Elias Lindholm. I, I really do believe that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the important thing to remember, and, and you mentioned the perfection line, and earlier we talked about Elias Lindholm in that special season that he had Johnny Gaudreau on one wing and Matthew Kachuk on the other. While, while those guys were praised for their two-way play and, and while Elias Lindholm ultimately was a Selkie Trophy finalist at the end of the season... How did that line play defense? By having the puck in the other end. This this version of Elias Lindholm with Yegor Sharangovich on one wing and Andrew Mangiapane has to be different. They do spend a decent amount of time in their own zone. They're, they're, when you're playing 11 minutes against Kucherov or 11 minutes against Jack Hughes, 
you're probably going to spend some time in your zone. And I think that helps explain the offensive drop-off. Like, you, you can't play that almost bend-but-not-break defense for that much of your night and then be yeah. expected to put up two or three points at the other end. There's only a few guys in the NHL who can do that. There's, there's very few that can take on that type of heavy lifting and put up high-end numbers. It's, it's, right. it's rare. And like it's, it's Anze Kopitar five, six years ago. Th- those are the type of guys. It's Jonathan Taves when he was putting up 70 points. Like there, there, are, there are very few guys that can put up high-end offensive totals while also taking on the responsibility that Lindholm is. It, absolutely. And more often than not, you're you're talking about the line in that situation because the wingers are going to be so imperative to helping you put up those yep. points, right? How many times during that special season with Gaudreau and Kachuk did we see Elias Lindholm, because he was doing the bulk of the heavy lifting in the defensive zone, come in as the trailer and score on a shot from the slot? Yep. Tons, right? Yep. Well... We're not seeing that quite as often because there's more instances where they're getting the puck out of their zone and then changing out. Right. Because they're exhausted and it's time to go for a change. And that doesn't mean they've been playing bad defense. But it's it's, Manjapani and and Sharon Govich, for as well as Yegor has played, they're not Kachuk and Gaudreau. And so. uh, uh, No. So. No, they're not. They are not. No. No. Johnny Gaudreau. That's correct. Johnny Gaudreau was not always lauded for his defensive play for good reason. But that's one of the best outlet passes in the NHL. When he gets, if if Lindholm or a D-man hits him on the defensive half wall, his next pass is always a perfect breakout. It is rare that Johnny gets... So when you don't have those types of talents, yeah, you are going to spend more time in your own zone. The other thing being, if when you have someone with the sort of electrifying talent that Johnny Gaudreau had the opposing D are starting to back off whenever they For think sure. you might be clearing yeah. the zone, sure. right? There's, there's not a lot of pinching happening against Johnny Gaudreau, especially Johnny Gaudreau in one of his best seasons or, or excuse me, in his best season. Yeah. And so that's a different story as well. Uh, that's our look inside hockey this hour on Flames Talk for Calgary Co-op. Let's go local Calgary from best from the West Canadian produce to quality only Alberta meats. Find your local at Calgary Co-op shop online or in store today. A couple of other cool notes. Um, you can't talk Elias Lindholm without talking about Jacob Markstrom. It so, sounds like. It's a rule. It's mandated. It is. It yeah. is indeed. Uh, those two guys are very tight. Uh, they're both so Swedish, as far as I can tell. Uh, Jacob Markstrom picked up his 19th shutout of his career on Thursday night, his first since March of last year, um, and his 200th career NHL win, which in typical Markstromian style, he downplayed post-game on Thursday. You know, I didn't know before the game, until before the game, and uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm sure they they told me so. Uh, I'd be ready to not buy Christmas gift for for all the money I have, but put some on the board for the guys. So yeah. I think that's a that's a reason why. But yeah, it's uh, you know we're we're just looking forward and looking forward to yeah. two hundred one. I know third, third Swedish goaltender to do it. I don't know if it, you, you look through that list and it's no. you know obviously the number of the names there, but um, you know is there is there significance or meaning in your mind to to the number two hundred? Uh, I don't know. I, I think uh, you know you. I've been growing up watching Lundqvist and you see his numbers and you no, know, it's uh, those are the numbers, uh, you know, I'm not going to catch and, you know, we'll see in the future if any, any Swedish goalie is going to catch that. But uh, I think the, what he did uh, and those numbers, that's, you know, the, the numbers you look at and you realize how far behind you are. And yes, he does have 259 wins to go to catch Henrik Lundqvist. I don't think he's going to get there, but I do think Jacob, well, I can tell you, Beyond a shadow of a doubt at this stage, Jacob Markstrom is going to retire number two all-time on the Swedish goaltending win list because Tommy Salo's only 10 away. So it goes Henrik Lundqvist at 459, Tommy Salo at 210, and then Jacob Markstrom. And when Jordan Bay tweeted that last night, so I knew it was his 200th win, but then Jay Bay tweets out from the Flames PR uh, account, just the third Swedish goaltender in NHL history to get 200 wins. I was like, no, nah, I can't be right. J-Bay, you got that one wrong, bud. I got, 
But then I went and went over to Quant Hockey. I'm like, holy crap. Like, that is, that, it, it actually, it's a wild stat to think about that Jacob is third all time and will finish second all time among Swedish goaltenders in wins. And um, yeah, he's at 200 now. Good on him. And I had the exact same reaction. Like, mostly because you just don't trust JBay. You're like, nah. Well, he can't we're just right. talking about a, a team that has been a, one of the perennial. Like one of the perennial powers in international hockey competition. And so to think that they only have three goalies with 200 NHL wins, I, I was a little bit caught off guard by that. But good for Jake Markstrom. You know, it speaks. He's a guy that, especially because of the struggles last season, is, you know, there's a lot of people who are ready to drive him to the airport and trade him away and, and get going with the next generation of Flames goalies. And and certainly I, I understand that. I'm as excited for the... Dustin Wolf era as anybody, but you know, he's probably become a guy for that reason. And I say this, especially this season, who's probably underappreciated in this city and Jacob Markstrom, man, 200 NHL wins is, is not a small feat. It sort of reminds you that the next time we have a best on best, there's a good chance. Jacob Markstrom is going to be there with Linus Allmark and someone else on, on behalf of Sweden. Like, Man, this guy's done a. He's <laughs> put together a nice resume. Had they gone to the Olympics in 2022, he would have been their starting goaltender. Absolutely, no like asked. zero question. Um, yeah, good for him, and uh, that's a that's a cool little stat. The, and then you think about it, you're like Johan Hedberg, Robin Lehner are four or five behind him. Right, yeah. and then Allmark is six I already. Think Allmark is, is that six. right? Yeah, he's yeah. creeping up as well. Uh, and just quickly before we hit the round table, best story of the day. Well, and you went and did the digging. I didn't even think about it. I was like, 29 years old. He scored his first goal. That's neat. But then Wes, the always inquisitive Wes Gilbertson, is on the old Twitter box on Thursday night. And he says, hey, who's the last oldest player to score their first NHL goal as a member of the Flames since Nick D. Simone at 29? So I was just waiting for you to give me the answer because I sure as hell wasn't going to go look it up. So I was just waiting for Wes to give the answer. And uh, you you came up with some interesting numbers after Nick DeSimone scored a game-winning first goal of his NHL career on Thursday. Well, and let me give the credit to NHL PR because I, to be honest, I wouldn't even know how to look this stat up. No, I like, didn't either. That's why I didn't even try. Even with how much work it it sounds like, I wouldn't even know where to begin. But Nick DeSimone is the fourth oldest player in Flames franchise history to score his first career goal. Meaning there were only three guys who were older on the day of their first NHL goal when scored on behalf of the Flames. And they are Pavel Torgaev, Yuri Herdina, Sergei Sergei Makarov. And as we all know, you know, Makarov is the reason that they changed the age rules on the Calder Trophy. But the others as well, Herdina and Torgaev, are two guys who were established stars in Europe before coming to yeah. North America. And so, man, what a good story for Nick DeSimone. I I was so pumped for him last night to see that one go in. I've talked to him. You know, I know he sent his first game puck back home to his parents, Phil and Cindy. I know he sent his first point puck back there. I'm sure he's probably dropping off a goal puck around the holidays. Like, just a really... Cool story. No matter what the future looks like for Nick Simone, they can't take that one away from him. I think he should go buy a Porsche, uh, a Porsche from Porsche Center Calgary. That's what I think. Go celebrate your first goal by taking advantage of what's happening at Porsche Center Calgary. How's that for Ooh, a segue? Segway. Rob Kerr, you would be very proud. Uh, Porsche Center Calgary has new inventory in stock, Nick. There's a great mix of all models, including Taycan, Cayenne, Macan, and even some sports cars. Porsche Center Calgary has unprecedented offers, like no luxury tax on 2023 Taycan models and 3.99% lease rates on 2023 and 2024 models, plus Macan S and GTS 2023 and 2024 models are available with 6.99% lease rates for up to 42 months. Offers end December 31st. Visit PorscheCenterCalgary.com. Anything and everything Calgary Flames. It's all on Flames Talk. Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Time now for the Daily Flames Roundtable. Brought to you by Mercedes-Benz Country Hills. The GLC 300 formatic coupe is built for winter. Loyalty lease rate of 3.99% on a 48-month lease. Zero down for $1,099 a month. 
No payments until 2024. Steinberg, Wes Gilbertson, and now the voice of the Flames, Derek Wills, joins us to complete our Daily Flames roundtable. Gents, uh, I actually thought, first of all, to preface the uh, conversation, I actually thought Jonathan Huberdeau had one of his more dangerous games in quite some time Thursday in Anaheim. Did not end up getting rewarded for it. Uh, he was named on our Flames Talk postgame the player with heart on Thursday night. Um, Jonathan Huberdeau, uh, though without points or goals, uh, stretched his droughts to 10 games without a point and 15 games without a goal. And this is credit Wes Gilbertson. He brought this up on Thursday's show. Um, and so I just wanted to throw it out and we could have a bigger conversation about it because it definitely intrigued me when I started to think about it. Guys, obviously getting Jonathan Huberdeau's offensive game to a different level is one of the top short-term and long-term priorities, if not the biggest priority for the Flames organization right now. What do we think of at some point trying Nazem Kadri and Connor Zary to try to get Jonathan Huberdeau going, thus putting Huberdeau on the wing of Kadri with Zeri on the other wing. What do we think of that potential combination? Right now, I wouldn't do it because that's been the Flames' best line. Uh, the Kadri and the kids' line has been their best line for quite some time, so I would not touch that line. But I would... And I know this hasn't worked. They've tried it a number of times. Daryl Sutter tried it last season. Ryan Huska's tried it this season. I would put him back on the left side of a line with Elias Lindholm and Yegor Sharangovich. Andrew Majapani is struggling right now as well, so I wouldn't hesitate to break up that group. And again, when you look at the skill set of Huberto and the skill set of Lindholm and how good Sharon Govich has been with his 200-foot game, I think it's worth taking another shot at, at trying to get Lindholm and Huberto working together. But at this point, the Flames have to try anything and everything to get Jonathan Huberto going. And I agree, Pat. I thought he played pretty well on Thursday night, but he just cannot buy a goal or a point right now. And I think about uh, that chance he had on the power play where he walked out from behind the net, puck bounced up into the air, Using good hand-eye coordination, he batted it towards the net and right into the outstretched glove of the goaltender. And he had this look on his face like, are you kidding me? Like, what do I have to do to score? And, and I feel for the guy because he has been creating chances. He just he can't seem to get one right now. I guess since this was my idea, I better vote in support of it. And uh, I still, you know, it's still similar to many of my ideas. Think it's borderline brilliant. <laughs> I, uh, I I agree with you, Willsey. Obviously, that Kadri and the kids line has been their their strongest unit. <laughs> I think you have something there that you know you could switch right back to. And the reason that I'd like to see Jonathan Huberto get even just a short stint with Kadri and Connor Zary is. This is a guy who needs out of these slumps in the worst way. He needs something other than a bagel beside his name on the score sheet at the end of the night so badly. And you could see him pressing for it last night. I was encouraged by where some of those chances were coming from. Like this is a guy who's hanging around the edge of the blue paint, knowing that's typically where the slump buster comes from. I just think as you try to figure out a way to maybe infuse some confidence into Jonathan Huberto, who so clearly has none right now. I think the way to do it is to put him with your two most confident forwards and two guys who are driving play, two guys who are getting pucks to the net, two guys who have a ton of confidence with it on their stick. And while Martin Pospisil has been very effective with those two, while well, well, he's done a great job on the four check and you'd, take a, a sort of step backward there with Huberto and said, well, he's done a great job of providing energy for the entire team. I don't think that Martin Pospisil is the ingredient that is making that second line tick. And I think because of his responsive, you know, his sort of responsible style, because of the, the spark that he provides, you can put him on one of your other top two line or sorry, top three lines and be perfectly comfortable with him in either spot. And and for that reason, I'd just love to see how Huberto could work there. I, I'd even talk to him, and now I'm going to start to sound crazy. 
I'd even talk to him about potentially playing the right side because Connor Zary has been so comfortable on the left. Um, so first of all, like when, <laughs> when, uh, when Wes suggested it on Thursday, I was like, yeah, I've been pretty loath to suggest Kadri and Huberto again, but I, I think there's, there's a lot of, there, there's a lot to be said for giving that a try. So first of all, I'm a pairing guy and not a line guy. I always, I, I, I've over the last number of years, last five, six years, I've, I've really subscribed to pairings, driving lines, and not three guys. And and on a lot of lines, you know, there are the rare exceptions, but on a lot of lines, there are two guys that you like. Point and Kucherov, you can put anybody with Point and Kucherov, and Rantanen and McKinnon, you can throw anybody there. And and so I, I think that the best lines in hockey, far more often than not, are driven by. Pairings. Pairings and the best, most dangerous line on the Flames. While I think Martin Pospisil has been a great fit with the pairing, the pairing to me that drives the line is Zeri and Kadri. And to use those two guys to try to get Jonathan Huberdeau going, I think makes a lot of sense. So that's number one. And then when I think about it, guys, how often have we talked about since Jonathan got here about maybe the, the players or the personnel who Jonathan is playing with don't really fit him. And now we're seeing, there's no doubt in my mind anyway, who the two most dynamic forwards on the team are. Connor Zary and Nazem Kadri. They are the guys who are the most confident in using their high level of skill. They are the most brash with doing it in spots where a lot of other guys won't. They are the one line that you throw out there and think nightly, oh, geez, these guys could do something. And so I just think having, and Zary's playing with a lot of pace, Kadri's playing with a lot of pace. I just wonder if having a guy like Huberdo and putting him on that line might be exactly what it takes to get his game, his offensive game to a little bit of a higher level. Being able to find these guys in motion, being able to find these guys in good spots, uh, and being able to use his high-end vision to really help the two most dynamic forwards on the team right now. So they, there is... I, I don't mind how Huberdeau has played in his 200-foot game with Backlund and Coleman. That's great. But he's at $10.5 million, and he can't be giving you 35, 40 points a year. You, he just can't. You have got to do everything to get his point total higher. And so, yeah, I, I know that many are loath to suggest putting Kadri and Huberdeau together because of how poorly it worked last year. But Kadri's never played this well as a member of the Flames. And Zeri is a guy who has given them something they haven't had prior. So long story short, yeah, Willsie, I, I I'm really I, I'm really interested in, in seeing that. I, I think there's a strong potential it could work. And at the very least, if it doesn't work, at least you tried him with your two best forwards. Yeah, guys, I guess I'm on an island here. And as convincing as your arguments probably were for some, uh, I'm going to stay on my island. I, I just, I don't like the idea. Um, and maybe it would work. I don't know. I didn't love the idea of putting Jonathan Huberdeau with Michael Backlund and Blake mm-hmm. Coleman, and that worked for a little while. So maybe putting him with uh, Nazem Kadri and Connor Zeri would get him going. But if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And I know that a lot of people are looking into the future when it, when it comes to this Flames team. But the coaches aren't, and the players aren't. They're trying to win hockey games right now. And the cadre and the kids line is not broken. So why break it to try to fix Jonathan Huberdeau? I would try some other things to try to get him going. I just I don't love the idea of playing Zeri on the right or Huberdeau on the right, which is what you would have to do if you were to put those two guys on a line with Kadri. And I just don't want to touch that line right now. It's been so good for so long. It's the one line the Flames can count on night in, night out. But you've got two of your other three lines in the top nine that aren't working very well right now. Uh, They have some good stretches, but they're not consistently good. So why not break up those two lines and and see if you can get something going? And again, with the way Yegor Sharangovich is playing, I think he's added a new element and has helped Elias Lindholm elevate his game a little bit. Maybe putting Jonathan Huberto on the left side of those two guys, which is where he was when all of this started in this 2023-2024 season, would work now that Lindholm's playing a little bit better and Sharon Govich is playing a lot better. And then you can put Manjapani back with 
Michael Backlund and, and Blake Coleman and Andrews had a lot of success, success playing with those two guys. So uh, for me, I wouldn't do it, but uh, I guess it's not up to me. It's up to Ryan Huskin. We'll see if he decides to go down that road. The only the only quibble I have with the and this has been an awesome debate, but the only quibble I have with the if it ain't broke, don't fix it approach is that if you can find a solution to get more out of Jonathan Huberto, it's gonna do so much more for you long term. And we we've seen the cadre and the kids line get split up already. We we've seen them sort of snap back to what we know they can be when put back together. I, I just think this this is a real low risk and you know with with some serious potential reward way for the Flames to put Jonathan Huberto with hey here's are the two guys that are going more than anyone on our roster here's as Pat put it the two most dynamic forwards on our team we're we're showing confidence in you Jonathan because we think that you can be a fit on their line let's see it I uh. I don't. Yeah. I, Go ahead. Sorry. I'm not there, guys. I, I'm. That's fine. Yeah, I'm not there. I, I just, um, if the Flames had lost three in a row, maybe, but they've won three in a row. No, and I, and, and just, season, I'm not even up. suggesting doing this right now. I just thought that at, at some point, I think we can all agree that they got to get Huberdeau to a higher level, right? Whatever, whatever we think it should be. That's yeah. why I threw it out there. I just I I'm not convinced that playing him with Kadri and Zeri is going to accomplish that goal. And what it would do is break up your best line, uh, the line that's helped you win three in a row and pick up points in five straight. I again, timing is everything, and I don't think now is the time to try it. If Flames lose three in a row and Ryan Oska wants to shake things up, sure. Um, I just wouldn't do it right now. But to your point, Wes, if you if you did do it at some point. I think you'd feel pretty confident that if it didn't work, you could reunite the cadre and the kids line and they'd kind of pick up where they left off. But right now the flames need to win a hockey game. So I wouldn't touch that line. And again, I'm not saying do it tomorrow. I'm just saying at some point is, is it something that, that I just want to clarify that Willsie. I'm not saying do it for tomorrow's game. I'm talking yeah. sometime January. If you need to, for sure. Like you don't fiddle too much when you've won three in a row, but I do think, you know, how long are you going to let Jonathan Huberto sort of twist in the wind with, with no goals in 15 games and, and no points in 10? And I, I'm not saying that putting him in a different spot in your lineup guarantees he snaps out of that. But at some point, you have to do something to try and get this guy going. He's, he's your highest paid player. He, he's so important to both now and the future. This this is a, another swing, and there's lots of people who are shaking their heads, I'm sure. And, and Wilsey, I absolutely respect that it's not your favorite idea in the world, but I think it's another swing to try and accomplish what the brass at the Saddle Dome must spend hours on. How, how do we get yeah. Jonathan Huberdeau going? They have to get him going. Yeah, I mean, they've got seven and a half years to figure it out, but hopefully it doesn't take that long. I just wouldn't touch that cadre line. Uh, what I would consider doing as soon as tomorrow night, and I don't think that Ryan Huska would go down this road because his team's got three-game winning and five-game point streaks, so you probably just leave well enough alone. But I wouldn't have any issue with them trying him on the left side with Lindholm and Sharon Govich and then moving Manjapani down to a line with Backlund and Coleman because that group has worked before. Why wouldn't it work again? Maybe you get two lines going instead of one. Daily Flames Roundtable with Derek Wills, Wes Gilbertson, and Pat Steinberg on uh, on this Friday edition of Flames Talk. And Wills, I don't actually think you're on an island. You might be on an island, like you might be on a Flames Talk Roundtable island, but I actually think you're maybe more in the majority than you think you are when it comes to the conversation. So only an island when it comes to the three of us. I actually think you're on the majority side when it comes to this one, though. At least, uh, at least when I uh, on have, the big island. Yeah, I think you're on the big island. We're on what's the small? What's the small? <laughs> I've never been to Hawaii. I don't know. Um, we're on a smaller island. Here is the least original Christmas-themed question of all time. I think that you could have you could have woken up, put no thought into it, and done a better job than I have in originality. But you know what? 
don't care because I promised that I would do something Christmassy when it came to this Friday edition of the Roundtable, so I am. Uh, whatever you want to do, make it as broad or as specific or as stupid or whatever as you want um, because that's what happens the final day before we uh, hit the holiday break on Flames Talk. What's, uh, give me one Flames Christmas wish. Win the Stanley Cup. See, that's fair. I told you there is no there is no criteria. <laughs> yeah, um, mine actually uh, ties into our first topic. Uh, get Jonathan Huberdeau going. And I know we just spent the last, what, 20 or so minutes talking about Jonathan Huberdeau. But for me, that's at the top of my wish list. If I'm Murray Edwards or John Bean or Craig Conroy or Ryan Husko or anybody, even, even a Flames fan that thinks they should retool or rebuild, Getting Jonathan Huberto going is so important for this team, short term and long term, because they've got him for another seven and a half years. So they've got to find a way to get him going. And I can't remember if it was you, Pat, or if it was you, Wes, uh, talked about uh, how he's clearly lacking confidence right now. For me, there was a play in last night's game, Thursday night's game against the Ducks, that just screamed that right through the television set. So there was a turnover in the Duck zone. Huberto picks up the puck uh, along the left wing boards and has basically a short breakaway. He has a clear path to get to the Ducks net. He walks towards the net and tries a behind the back drop pass. And it, it to me was just, it's what's going on with him right now. Confident players shoot the puck. He could have shot the puck. He could have made a forehand to backhand move if he didn't like his angle. Instead, he made what, was I would call a low percentage pass. Now I'm sure that pass has worked for him a hundred times. And if it works, maybe it's a, a tap in, but they, they've got to get him going. And they've tried, we just talked about all the internal options they've tried and they've tried just about everything over the last year and a bit. Uh, maybe it's time to look for an external option. And I know that uh, most Flames fans, or at least uh, a good chunk of them don't want the team uh, trading assets to bring players in at this point in time. But what would it cost you to get Anthony Duclair from the Sharks? Could you get him for a third round pick? Now, I would look at that as not only a short-term investment, but a long-term investment. Because if you can get Jonathan Huberto going now, maybe he keeps going. Um, and playing with a guy who he had 115 points with a couple of seasons ago, who knows if, if that uh, helps him get his game back and helps him uh, start to produce again. And Jonathan Huberto doesn't have to be a 115-point player for the Flames. But if you look at what he did in the seasons before his career year, 69 points in 82 games, 92 points in 82 games, 78 points in 69 games, 61 points in 55 games. Average those four years out. Throw the 115 points right out the window. If you could get that guy, I think that would be a huge relief. So for me, if if I'm someone who works with the flames for the flames cheers for the team getting jonathan huberto going would be uh the grip that i would want under my christmas tree i don't know if this really counts as a, a flames christmas wish guys but i i've been thinking about this over the past little while ever since he blocked a shot with his face and then <clears throat> tried to do it again in the next game <laughs> i wish for chris tanev to get a legitimate chance to go hoist the Stanley Cup. We're talking about a guy who turned 34 earlier this week. We're talking about as selfless of a player as I've covered in my dozen seasons on the Flames beat. I, I know there's a lot of reasons that the Flames would want to keep him in the fold. I, I know how much he means at the Saddle Dome, but I hope at this point in his career, Chris Tanev gets a chance to go play for a top contender and have a chance to win a Stanley Cup. I'll make mine really quick. I just, uh, I'm really hopeful that whatever happens between now and March 8th and whatever direction the Flames decide to go. And I say this because the show's Flames talk. It's better when things don't suck. I just hope that they do it right. I, I really do. And I, I'm, I'm actually quite confident. I've had enough conversations with the general manager. I, I believe he's got a plan. I believe Craig Conroy will enact his plan. And I also believe he's got full sign-off from his superiors to be able to go about the business the way he wants. I just hope that however it goes, 
it ends up being the right move for the organization because more than anything else, for the people who listen to Flames Talk and the people who listen to broadcasts and the people who listen to our our, our Flames Talk post game and and th- these are people that they love the Flames, but I I really have grown to appreciate the the um, loyalty of people who who listen to this program and and who consume Flames Talk. I, I I'd really like to see them cheer for a team that has a legitimate chance of winning a Stanley Cup. And if that means that you keep this core together, then do that. If that means that you trade away every UFA and others, then you do that. What I just would like to see them get it right over the next three months, two and a half months here. However that ends up looking like. I don't know what getting it right looks like, and we won't know for months, years down the road. I just hope that this very pivotal and... I can't remember an in-season window more pivotal than this. I just hope it is enacted properly because I think that'd be just be good for everybody involved. Yeah, I like both of your wishes. Love Chris Tanev as a, a person and a player. And yeah, he deserves a Stanley Cup as, as much as anybody in this league who hasn't won one. And uh, Pat, I hope that uh, regardless of what direction the Flames go in, they continue to play entertaining hockey because last season at times... They were a tough team to watch. This season, almost every game, win or lose, they've been a lot of fun to watch. So I just, I hope that continues. You got that part right. This has been an entertaining team for sure. Uh, Happy holidays, fellas. Uh, It's our final roundtable pre-Christmas. We'll reconvene next week. But uh, happy holidays, boys. Uh, Thanks as always. Yeah, Merry Christmas to you guys. Merry Christmas to all of our listeners. And uh, see if the Flames can uh, put a gift under the tree instead of a lumping, lump of coal in the stocking by beating the Kings on Saturday night. That'd be a good way to go into the break. He's Derek Wills. He is Wes Gilbertson. My name is Pat Steinberg. That is your Daily Flames Roundtable, brought to you by Mercedes-Benz Country Hills. The GLC 300 formatic coupe is built for winter. Loyalty lease rate of 3.99% on a 48-month lease. Zero down for $1,099 a month. No payments until 2024. Uh, thanks to Cam and Taylor, our producers this hour, as always, as we start to wrap things up. And Mr. Gilbertson, have yourself a wonderful uh, holiday break as well. We will uh, reconvene next week, pal. Looking forward to it already. Wes Gilbertson is on Twitter at Wes Gilbertson, and that'll wrap us up on the Sports Drive. Brought to you by Calgary Lock and Safe. This Christmas, give the gift of security with smart locks and safes. Visit calgarylockandsafe.com.